Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. God is good, amen. Um, right, I just feel like I've been on a hop all week and uh, hadn't had a chance just to go in the Lord. Anybody feel like that? Yeah, been a busy week, you haven't had a time just to relax. In the Lord's arms. Can I get a witness, anyone? Amen. Amen. It's been like that. So we're here today. And um, even though that may be the case, um, we come to God's word and, you know, I'm excited about what some of the things which he would have to say to us through his word today. <laughs> and uh, if you've read ahead, obviously you know what we're going to be talking about. But to which degree we're going to be talking about it, you know, um, needs to be, well, you need to wait for that. Um, but as I said last week, and I say again, I know I'm stalling for time here, trying to get my thoughts and trying to get, um, as I said last week, you know, whatever is presented to you from the front here is really, you know, it's, it's something for you to sort of like have, 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 have as a basis for you to start building upon it, to, to search the scriptures to see if these things are so, whether you agree, disagree, you know, um, hopefully as, as, you know, the Lord is ministering, he will just reveal other things through his word which have relevance to it, which I'm just not focusing on at all. And you know what? Unless you, you tackle these things and you go totally in depth in all of them, you really can't just draw out everything. So, you know, that's my disclaimer from the, from the beginning. <laughs> but let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you, Lord. And you know, as we've said, many of us have had weeks, Lord, where it's just been busy. It seems like we've run from one thing to the next. It seems like, you know, 24 hours is just not enough time in a day to do all the things we want to do, we desire to do, we need to do. But today, Lord, our desire is just to sit in your presence, to sit underneath your word and allow your word to minister to us and to do exactly what it wants to do, what it needs to do. Um, your word says, Lord, they will not return unto you void. And so um, have your way in all of our lives today, Lord. From me, ministering your word, Lord, to, to the hearers of your word, those receiving your word. Let us all know that today, Lord, will be a day where we've all been enriched by looking into your word, Lord. So thank you for this time again in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay. Ephesians chapter 6, um, and you know, before we actually get into the text, it's pretty much going to be a long introduction, because you know, just in considering our study in the book of Ephesians, you know, there has been so many wonderful truths which the Apostle Paul has already just revealed to us, which we should be hanging on to, which we should be encouraged by, you know, um, We've considered how the Apostle Paul has told us so many wonderful truths about the believer's position in Christ. You know, how we've been chosen before the foundation of the world. How we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. You know, how we've been seated with Christ in heavenlies. How we have an eternal inheritance. That we've been sealed by the Spirit of God as a as a guarantee, as a promise, you know, as a down payment for the future hope that we, which we have. We've considered how, you know, God hasn't just left us with, with, enabled to do what he's asked us to do. He's given us, and we looked at power, dunamis, energia, ikkus, kratos, power. All these different words for power he's given us. And it's the same power which he's given us which he raised Jesus from the dead. We, see, we have seen how, 
you know, we were dead in trespasses. We've also seen how it wasn't just like we were, we were in darkness. We've seen how we were darkness. But now we are light. We've seen how we were aliens from God, afar off from God. But God has brought us near. He's given us all these wonderful promises, how he's brought us near and into his family, into the commonwealth of God. You know, we've seen how we are his workmanship, his poema. You may be here today not really thinking that you're God's poema, but that's what we've looked at. You are God's poema, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, so that we should walk in them. So we've looked at all these things, you know, and from the outset um, in introducing the book of Ephesians, you know, I said that, you know, it's divided equally into two portions. You've got your doctrinal portion and you've got your application, experiential portion. But within that, I've also said you could look at the book and you could see it in aspects of sit, walk, stand, and. So we've seen how we're seated with Christ. That's our position before him. We've seen also that, you know, we're complete in Christ Jesus. Again, we may consider those things and think, well, I don't really feel complete. But that's what the scripture says. You are complete in him. We are one new man, one new body. We have one Lord, one spirit, one faith, one baptism, and one father of us all. See, all of these benefits which God has given to us as we've been considering the text as we've been going through. And I don't know if, you know, as you've been tracking along, you've been holding on to these things. But that is the desire, that we don't just track along and forget what we've already looked at, that we hold on to them. You know, then we got into this aspect of the text where it says do we, we should be walking in unity. Not disunity, not having arguments with each other all the time and conflict, but walk in unity. Walk in love, walk in light. To walk in wisdom and not as fools. To walk in the spirit and not as if, as if we're walking in the world. And you see, as we do these things, in this walking aspect, we, we have seen that these are all evidence that God is actually working within our lives. It's, it's the fruit to say that we know what we believe and why we believe it, and now I'm going to let it outwork within my life. That's the, that's the evidence, it's the fruit. And then we've seen how, you know, within our relationships, one verse just speaks so profoundly, um, chapter 5, verse 21, that we should be submitting ourselves to one another in the fear of God. And so within our relationships towards each other, that we should recognize, you know, the different roles and the different functions which we have as believers. And we should be happily, we should be prepared just to function within those roles. Within the family, you know, we've seen the different roles and we took a bit of time to look at wives' responsibilities, husbands' responsibilities, children's responsibilities. And then we, last week we looked at our working life. Because God wants to look at every aspect of our lives. And he wants, he's interested in every aspect of our lives. And so, after considering and knowing all these things, after knowing and understanding what we believe, why we believe it, having hopefully a, a lifestyle of prayer and seeing God's power working within our lives as, and applying it to our lives, we come to this final section. And if... You remember what I just said there, knowing, understanding, praying, seeking God's power, applying God's application. I mentioned Kappa. Remember Kappa? Anybody forgotten about Kappa? Okay, get the tape. It's not tapes anymore. Get the CD. Don't get the CD. Get the MP3. Okay. So, kappa, knowledge, understanding, prayer, power, application. Okay, so, you see, the whole point, me giving this long introduction, is because I don't want us to forget what we've already looked at. 
We're churning through Ephesians. We're getting through it. But have you remembered what we've been going through? That's the whole point. Because we're coming to the final section. And in this final section, Paul's going to start introducing things which we can't forget what we've already looked at. We have to be aware of these things because they're going to hold us to move forward, to stand. And that's what the last section is all about, standing. So, sit, walk, stand. Standing with Christ and holding our ground. And, you know, when I hear this word standing, you know, many times it, it just kept making me think of Joshua you know, when he was going into the land and, and God says, you know, every, every place where your foot will tread, what did he say? Okay, that he will give to you. Okay, it's, it's, like, it's like taking territory and holding on to that territory. Standing. And Paul is going to inform us that we have to stand because whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, we are engaged in a fierce war. We're engaged in a fierce battle. And the battleground is bigger than anything that we can co comprehend. You see, in this battle, <laughs> the players, if I can call it that, Almighty God and the Godhead... He's angelic host, the de demonic host, and us as human beings on planet Earth. This is what is involved here. And the intensity of this war is such that it involves the reality and the influence of unseen forces and unseen forces which we don't really know much about because the bible you know it 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 shows us and it tells us spiritual things and about another realm but it doesn't actually say this is what it is this is exactly what it is i'm going to paint the picture for you so you know exactly what it is it doesn't do that and so it gives us little glimpses here, and it gives us a glimpse there, and it alludes to things over there, and it alludes to things over there. And we kind of like got to say, well, I don't really get it, but I know it's true. We know that it's a reality. And Paul, he wants us to know, he wants the, these Ephesian believers to know that walking with the Lord, yeah, you're seated with Christ in heavenly places, fine, hallelujah. You're walking with him, you're outworking your walk, fine, praise the Lord. But he wants us to know that as we walk with the Lord, you know, and we're going to live for him, it's spelled in a particular way. And the way it's spelled is this, W-A-R-F-A-R-E, warfare. That's what your life is going to consist of, warfare. Your life is going to consist of either you going into a battle, being in a battle, or just coming out of a battle. That's what your life is going to consist of as a believer. Accept it if you want, deny it if you want, but it's true, it's a reality. And so Paul is going to, you know, he's going to begin to unpack what this warfare is and how we can overcome and live victorious in it. He wants to give us some tools. He says, look, recognize this, this is what's going on. This is what you're in. But you know what? God has given you a provision. All right, let's look at his provisions. Ephesians chapter 6, uh, chapter 6, yeah, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, 
against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, based upon all what I've just said, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having, all, having done all to stand, stand. Stand, the next stand pretty much comes in the next verse, but depends where you put the comma or the full stop. Stand. That's Paul's encouragement to us. Now, let's try and track through the text now. Where he says finally, you know, Paul often says finally, and then he gives us another chapter. You think, Paul, that wasn't finally. But um, finally could, in so many ways, um, be translated as moreover or henceforth. So those words would give it a bit more of a, you know, a better understanding as we're looking at the text now. So moreover or henceforth, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. See, Paul straight away makes it clear, you know, he reminds us that the strength and the power that we have as believers is not your own. It's the Lord's. God is our source. And it is only when we are in Christ and we apply the provision that God has given to us that we can fight this fight and be victorious within it. So, in this type of battle, which Paul is going to explain, is explaining to us, we can only be strong if we are in the Lord. And we can only be strong if we are functioning in the power of his might. So, you know, we say, well, well how can I do that? You know, practically, how does that work itself? Well, many of us would agree that there's many times when we're, we're faced with situations in our lives. And instead of dropping to our knees or going into our prayer closets or looking at work, consulting God's word, we try and do everything we want to do in our own strength. We do 50-50. Or we call a friend. Phone a friend. We start seeking counsel. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with counsel, but we do everything in our own strength when we should be doing it in the Lord's strength. Lord, what? This, Lord, all craziness is happening in my life. What, what is happening in here? Lord, help me. Show me. You know, it's, it's, it's relying on God and not necessarily relying on ourselves to figure it all out. So, Perhaps that's a, a good application here. Stop trying to figure it all out for yourselves. Look to the Lord. Perhaps, you know, we need to apply faith in situations. Maybe we say we live by faith, but the, the reality is when a situation presents itself, we don't act in faith. And the scripture says, you know, without faith, what? It's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So maybe that's a good application. A good application of, you know, finding your strength in the Lord and in the power of his might, not your own might. Now, as we're considering these things, you know, I want us to remember that the first-hand hearers of this letter, the Ephesians, you know, they were familiar with this whole thing which we're, we're addressing today, you know, the spiritual realm. You know, they were familiar with the occult and occultic practices. And so this very much would have been a reminder to them that God's power was sufficient. The things they were delving into before, you know, was inferior to Almighty God and his power and his strength. You know, 
If you remember in the book of Acts, Acts, Acts chapter 19, you know, which in so many ways touches a, a, a number of things which, which um, we could consider today. But if you've got your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 19. We'll, we'll pick up from verse 13. If you're there, please say amen. Acts chapter 19, verse 13 says, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know. And Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. You know, and I chuckle when I read that, because I just think myself, there's a lot of ministries out there that they're lucky that God doesn't allow these things to happen today. Come and get your deliverance. Come and get your anointing. And if God allowed these things to happen today, they would know that they should not take the Lord's name in vain. They wouldn't take the Lord for joke. Because, you see, God has his reasons why it doesn't happen today, but, you know... Verse 17, this became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in where? I can't hear you, family. Ephesus. Ephesus. And fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced what? Magic. Brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. You see, these Ephesian believers, they were used to this stuff. They knew about the occult. Many of them were practicing within these things. And so Paul writing these things here wasn't unfamiliar to them. It would have been encouraging. Because if they were, if they were worshipping some demons over there who they knew was strong and powerful, they, need, they needed to know that they had something more powerful than that demon over there to fight against it. So Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Okay, well, how are we going to do that? He says, okay, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. If you want to be strong in the Lord, or you want to be strong in the power of his might, there's something you have to do. You have to put it on. Put on the armor of God. Because the armor is his provision for us to be able to stand. And so if we have any chance of waging a good warfare... We have to appropriate God's provision by putting on his armor. And you see, when we read this, Paul doesn't say, you know what? I've got a good idea. Just be selective in what you want to put on. Today, you know, you could just put on the helmet of your salvation. Tomorrow, you could just wield the sword of the spirit. Have one a day. He doesn't say that. It says, put on the whole armor. Every item, every item which he lists here, he says, put it on, because every item is needed to complete the task of waging a good warfare. And so, we are to gird our waist with truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. We are to shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We are to hold up that shield of faith. You know, put on the helmet of our salvation and wield the sword of the spirit. The word of God. 
And basically, he says, put it on and keep it on. Put it on and keep it on. And he says, the reason that we need to put it on and keep it on is why? So that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Stand or withstand. Basically, again, if you've got this picture of Joshua in your head, like, you know, being able to preserve and protect the territory that the Lord has allowed us to have. Now, territory, what are you, what are you talking about, Peter? Territory, what does that mean? You know, well, that, that could be territory within your mind. Whole mental aspect to it all. It could be physically. The Lord has physically healed you. Hold on to that healing. You know, perhaps we would all agree we don't necessarily see wonderful miracles of healing anymore, but I still believe God heals. He's still able. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's emotional territory. Maybe the Lord has allowed, enabled you to overcome some deep-rooted pains and hurts and everything. And the devil just goes, no, 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 no. You're not really overcoming that. No, hold on to that territory. The Lord has healed you. Emotionally. Maybe it's in your emotions. Maybe it's spiritual. Maybe you're there thinking, I'm not even sure if I'm really saved. See, all, all these territories we need to hold on to, preserve, protect. How do we do it? Put on the armor. Second Corinthians, you know, chapter 10 and verse 4 says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. See, our weapons, the weapons what God is talking about here, which Paul is addressing here, they're mighty in God. Mighty in God. Now you may, you may look at the armed forces and think, wow, that tank, I don't even know anything about army wear. Luke Skywalker, the lightsaber. Maybe you think that's heavy and that's mighty. Well, you know what? <laughs> that's nothing in comparison to what God has given us. The weapons of our warfare are mighty. Now, how that outworks itself and that pans itself in the spiritual realm, I don't know. But I do know God's word says... They're mighty in him as we use what he's given us, as we apply it by faith. And so they're mighty in God so that we are able to stand. And, you know, the word stand comes from the Greek word histemi. And there's another word which is very, very closely associated, which is antihistemi. And this word stand here is the same, it comes from the same root word which we get in James 4, 7 and 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 to 9, which says in James, therefore submit to God, resist or stand against the devil and he will flee from you. Same thing in Peter. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. He isn't a roaring lion, but he walks about like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. Resist or stand against him, steadfast in what? In faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. You see, the devil does this. He, he gives us the same lies, each and every one of us. It's the same thing. From generation to generation, culture to culture, race to race, church to church, the same lies. Not even from church, humanity, the same lies. And so Paul says, you know, we have to stand against the attacks of the devil, which come in the form of wiles, the wiles of the devil. What is wiles? Wiles is taken from the Greek word, which means mephodia, which you probably hear it, is where we kind of like get our root word of method from. 
So it's the, you know, it's the methods of the devil. And in this context, you know, it means his trickery or his seduction or his methods of lying. And so, again, if, you know, in your mind, you know, we stand so that we're, what Paul's already spoken about in this epistle, he says that we're no longer children tossed to and fro by the devil's lies, his seductions, you know, his trickery. We're not, we, we put on the armor so that, you know, those things just bounce off of us. And, you know, and it's such a serious thing, lies, seduction, trickery. I mean, if you really think about Israel in the Old Testament, they got duped into believing a lie. The whole nation. Listen to the devil's lies, and basically, the nation of Israel committed spiritual harlotry. I think it's the book of Isaiah says, who, who has ever heard of such a thing? That, that a nation rejects its own God. Who's ever heard of it? But that's what Israel did. And you know what? If we're not careful, the same thing can happen to us as believers. You know, we can be seduced and tricked by the devil's lies. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 24, he says, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive. If possible, who? Even the elect. So the wiles, the trickery, the seductions, the lies, you know, of the devil, they all come from our adversary, the devil. Satan, Lucifer, the accuser of the brethren, the deceiver, the prince of the power of the air. All these names in the scriptures to, you know, referencing one person, one individual. And the devil's sole purpose is to just throw all the plans of God. So, you know, if you consider it in this, in this light, the things we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks, you know, weeks, if God has a plan to create his new society, it's the devil's plan to mash it up, to hinder God's plan. If God wants his children to walk in light, then the devil wants to do all that he can do so that we walk in darkness. If God says, you know what? I want strong and stable marriages in order to build up strong and stable communities and, and society. Then guess what? It's the devil's plan to destroy it. To destroy families. To destroy marriages. To destroy relationships. And so, we as believers, you know, we have to know that we have to walk in what is true. And we have to stand against the wiles that specifically come from the devil. And, you know, I said specifically come from the devil. And I say it like that because ultimately all wickedness and all evil finds its way back to him. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 8 verse 44, he said, you know... Let's not get it tw twisted. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, when he, sorry, when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. So, you know, I'm not saying that every time you're tempted or you're being told a lie or anything, that that's the devil, but I'm just saying that ultimately it all goes back to him. He's the father of it all. And, you know, we're speaking here about spiritual things and about the devil and a literal devil. And I believe in a literal devil. Jesus believed in a literal devil. The apostles believed in a literal devil. 
And so, you know, you may have people at work or at college or your neighbors and everything. They say, oh, I don't really believe in that stuff. I don't believe there's a devil. No, 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 I don't believe it. Well, the Bible says it's true. And if Jesus believed in the literal devil and spoke to him, then you know what? I'll take my reference from Jesus. You know, the devil, we, we, we get glimpses of him in the book of Job where he presents himself before the sons of God. We get glimpses of him in Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel 28. You know, we look in the book of Revelation, you know, and just see his dealings and his guanins in the book of Revelation. And it fascinates me, as I read the book of Revelation chapter 12, it fascinates me how the devil could have told such a convincing lie to a third of all the angels so that they would revolt against almighty God. I don't get it. What lie did you tell these angels here? You know, chapter 12 of Revelation, it says, you know, there was war in the heavenlies. I mean, how can you fight against God and think you're going to win? Revelation chapter 12, verse 8 says, you know, but the devil and his angels did not prevail. There's war in the heaven, heavenlies, but the devil and his angels did not prevail. Nor was there a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. I mean, that's heavy stuff. I mean, just in one verse alone, you get five different references to the devil. Because it's communicating, this guy is off key. But even though he's off key, you know, he's got a mighty force of demons. And it's these demons, it's these influences that we have to contend with. And again, that's why Paul says, stand, prepare yourselves. Prepare yourselves against the things which the devil and these demons are going to throw your way. You know, another reference is 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. It says, now the Spirit expressly says. See, we've got to look at words like that. It, the Spirit expressly says. That in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. It's out there. We have to be aware of these things. You know, the devil and his demonic host are doing what they're doing. And so we as believers, we can just sort of like kick back and think, well, you know, it doesn't really <laughs> involve me, but it does involve you. You can kick back and think, yeah, there's not really much I need to do. But that's just having a defeated attitude. And that's not what the apostle wants us to have. And so he's encouraging us to put on the armor. And verse 12 says, it says, you know, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So, our fight isn't necessarily against flesh and blood. It isn't against, necessarily against people. You know, and we have to get the right balance here because it, doesn't, it isn't necessarily against people, but it involves people. Because people are used. Just like situations are used. You know, um, Peter and, and Jesus, you know, he's just confessed Jesus to be the Christ and everything. And then two seconds later, he's saying, no, you're not going to go to Jerusalem. So Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're thinking, what happened there? So was Peter Satan? No, but the influence and his thought processes was an influence of Satan, if you get what I mean. So, you're not necessarily against someone, but you're against the thought process, you're against the, where it's actually coming from. 
And so what, that's exactly what Paul is saying. He's stating that behind the person is an influence which is, which is either for Christ or it's against Christ. And when something is against Christ in the scriptures, it usually calls it anti-Christ. Now, I'm not saying that some of you may be witnessing to or your work colleague is anti-Christ. I'm not saying that. Please don't hear that. Okay? I'm not saying that they're anti-Christ. But without realizing, without them realizing it, they are being influenced by something which is anti-Christ. Does that make sense? Now, that opinion, that mindset, that lifestyle, you know, it may have come via a lot of different routes. It may be upbringing. It may be education. It may be all these different things. You know, if somebody's never ever taught anything to do with the scriptures and the Bible and Jesus, and they have a mindset of being humanistic, then we know that there's an influence there. You didn't just grow up and just say, well, I'm going to think that. I mean, there's an influence somewhere along the line. So where do these influences ultimately come from? And Paul's addressing saying that ultimately, all those things which are against the knowledge of Christ are coming from the devil and his demonic influences. Amen? And I say all this as well because, you know, last week we looked at the relationship between you know, um, employees and employers or slaves and masters. And I mentioned last week that ultimately we're all slaves to something. You know, whether we like it or not, we're all slaves to something. Romans chapter 6, you know, says, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. So, whether we're aware of it or not, we're influenced. And however we're living our lives, we're slaves to Christ or we're slaves to something which is anti-anti-Christ. And so, all these things, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. You know, so we see that the battle is, is layered. Um, I don't know if we probably do, but, you know, when you're fighting spiritual war, when you're just living a life as a Christian, it just seems like you're fighting a battle and it's layered. It's, it's like you're fighting on a number of different fronts. Um, you know, if you think, of that, think about it in, in, in modern warfare, you know, they have front lines, you know, and so the battle may be just concentrated over there because that is the front line, that's the territory we want to get, and we're going for it. But as believers, you know, we could be dealing with emotional things, physical things, relationship things, you know, we could be tormented. You know, it just seems like the, the battlefronts are so many different things. and you, It's like you, you, you fight over there, but you've still got that thing coming over there. Does that make sense? You know, it's just, it's just not one thing. It's not like the devil just says, right, I'm going to play fair, and I'm just going to give you one thing at a time. He doesn't do that. Just as you think, as I said before, just as you think you're coming out of one battle, you're back into another one. And you know, the battle many of the times, is with yourself. You know, some people just have problems with themselves, thinking that they're not worthy and they're not spiritual and they're not doing what they should be doing. And it's, you know, it, it hinders them. And the devil says, I know how to get that person. Just make them think that they're not worthy and it'll keep them there and they won't be doing the damage over there. And we fall for it. So, Paul is saying that, look, even though you're battling with yourselves, even though you're battling with other people, you know, really the battle is against unseen spiritual forces and an unseen enemy. 
And so we have to recognize who that enemy is. And, you know, that's where Paul starts introducing to us all the different levels, all the different aspects of where this enemy is coming from. And he gives, he gives them earthly titles to describe these heavenly entities that we have to stand against. So he says, you know, we fight against um, principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You know, and what, what he's doing here, he's making it plain, he's making it known that, that we're fighting against something which is superhuman. He's also making it clear here that we're fighting against something which is highly organized. This isn't a motley crew here. It's highly organized. And we have to be prepared for it. And notice in here, that in this verse, that the word against is mentioned four times. Because this word against just separates the different categories, which are all terms to describe the different demonic entities, which are all distinct from each other. So the text doesn't go, Paul doesn't go in to say how they're exactly distinct, but they are distinct, distinct. And he presents the list. And he says that we wrestle against principalities, taken from the Greek word arche, meaning chief ruler. We, we wrestle against powers, taken from the Greek word exousia, meaning delegated influences, against rulers, taken from the Greek word kosmokrata, meaning world rulers. And within this, he also says that these world rulers are described as rulers of darkness. So we have this world rulers of darkness aspect, which Paul is is bringing into the picture. And he says, against spiritual wickedness, which is exactly that. It's spiritual, celestial wickedness. And so, just, have we, just as we have levels of God's angelic hosts, you know, we've got archangels, angels, seraphim, cherubim. You see that the devil also has his ranks, his levels of his demonic hosts. And just as the Lord has used his angels throughout history to fulfill his own purposes, we see that the devil has his demonic hosts to, to fulfill his purposes within the, within, the, within the earth. And as I said in Re- Revelation chapter 12, you know, these demonic entities... They're not just against you. They're not just against me. You know, they're not just against humanity. It's against God himself. And so, you know, Paul's just making it plain exactly who our enemy is. And again, even though we cannot identify these spiritual entities with our natural senses... You know, that's still very real. So again, he says, therefore, take up the armor of God. Take up, you know, God's provision. Because we're in a battle. And we need to know that we're in a battle. And soon as you signed up to be a Christian, basically, the devil put a target on your back. And he's just shooting with these wiles, taking aim at your life to see exactly how he can get you. He knows exactly how to push all of our buttons, as I've been mentioning before. You know, and his tricks haven't really changed that much. You know, he seduced Eve in the garden and he uses the same tactics today. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, 
and the pride of life. You see, he got Eve. She saw that the, the fruit was good to eat. You know, that it would make her wise. You know, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. You know, this is where, these are the areas where the enemy gets us. You know, whether we're overindulgent in carnal desires, whether we always want more and never satisfied, whether we, we just have, we have pride issues. You know, he always challenges us within one of those or all of those areas. And Paul's advice here is that, you know, it is the armor of God which gives us the ability to stand and withstand the onslaught of the enemy when he tempts us in these areas. And so he says that you may be able to stand or withstand in the evil day. And what's the evil day? You know, is that some specific day? So you're going to be left alone on this specific day, which is the evil day. That's when you need to put up. No, every day is the evil day. Every day. Because the devil doesn't let up on his attacks. And having done all to stand, we stand. And we stand remembering verses such as, you know, 1 John 4, 4, which says, you know, basically, he that is in you is greater than he is in the world. Remember that. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distress, for Christ's sakes. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, we need to hold on to God's word in order to help us to overcome these things. But we need to put on the armor of God. We need to put on the armor of God. Amen. Maybe we should stop there. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word again. We thank you that it is true. We thank you, Lord, that you know you have given us a provision, Lord, to to wage a good warfare, and um, and that's as we apply what you've given to us, Lord, and as we know that our strength, our source, our power, Lord, comes from you. You know, it's not our own strength, Lord. It's all from you, and. Um, I pray, Lord, that as, as we go through these, these difficulties, as these experiences, Lord, as these challenges, Lord, of going through spiritual warfare, warfare that you'd make it be real to us, Lord, and, and you help us to overcome in these things. Um, continue to bless our day today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.